0: In 1988,
1: we decided to create the Black Women's Movement in Brazil to break with the two subjects that were the White Feminist Movement and the Mixed Black Movement, which used us and did not give us a voice. We decided to break with this movement in 1988 and decided to follow our path independently. Why? Because we always served as a ladder for these two movements, and we discovered throughout our history of political action and political advocacy that we were the spring that moved this movement. We were the oil that made these machines all work.
0: I have reflected a lot in the sense of identifying the young leaders of young black women and understanding that us, as young women, and also as black women's movements, LGBT movements and feminist movements, we will need to recognize that we need to act in a synchronized way at many times. It does not mean that we need to act in the same ways, but I believe it is necessary to resume some path. And build bridges of dialogue. You're
2: listening to That Feminist Fire, a new podcast that unravels over 40 years of feminist movements and reimagines a way forward. I'm your host, Gopika Bashi, a passionate feminist campaigner at heart, and I also work at AWID, an organization that supports feminist movements worldwide. Today, you'll hear from two powerful Brazilian feminist organizers. These women are fighting against the systemic racism that has plagued black communities for centuries. Valdeci Nascimento took her first step into a lifetime of activism when she and her black peers broke from a long lineage of white-led feminist organizations. A generation later, Jessica Ipolito is taking up the mantle, with an acknowledgement that the voices of queer black youth are still underrepresented. In this episode, you'll learn from their experiences carving their own paths as queer black feminists in Brazil and carrying forward the black feminist movement. Valdeci comes from a low-income community of stilt houses in Salvador, Bahia.
0: As we
1: build houses on the sea, I have this bond. I have this very direct connection with the sea. I love the sea. I have several references in relationship with the sea. I know that I was born in that place because of racism. The racism in Brazil and Bahia, a city with a black majority, impact very inevitably and profoundly on the production of inequality concerning the black population. In this city called Salvador, we are 85% of the population. Still, we are the segment of this population that has been most discriminated against, most violated since I was born until today. In other words, the whole story of my life is a story of struggle, and of confronting inequalities and confronting racism. And I wanted to stress, when you talk about sexism, that I come from territory where mostly black women are the ones who organize themselves to change our living conditions. We lived on stilt houses, we were fisherwomen and shellfish gatherers, and lived off what that territory offered us. So we fished, we collected from the sea everything possible to survive.
2: Valdeci's neighborhood eventually became home to the first sanitary landfill in the region. As waste from the city trickled in, Valdeci's community moved from gathering seafood to gathering trash for recycling.
1: We collect metal, copper, iron bottles, and all the material that came from the garbage, which could be recycled. We get out of this space. That's why I say, I affirm, that those who were born in that territory, most of them are born fighting for survival, fighting for a better quality of life. And also in this place, we learned to build solidarity among women, because it was the woman who at the same time worked to guarantee sustenance and help to take care of each other's children.
2: Witnessing her community and family struggle inspired Valdesi to become an advocate.
1: I was a student mobilizer in the high school where I studied. I stirred a lot of things up while claiming rights and reacting to racism because in my house, my father was a communist militant. My father, in the period of the military dictatorship and the fight for democracy in Brazil, was involved in the Communist Party of Brazil. He was persecuted, he fled, and today we are a poor black family, but we have always been involved in the anti-racist struggle, the fight for quality of life and the fight for a better country. Always. From a very... Early age, these conversations have always been around in my house. And when I found the black movement in the 80s, for me, only helped me understand racism in a more systematic way. Because in my house, in the school where I studied, in my life, even before I came to the movement, the issue of racism was always posed. So the sexism that operated outside my house was not the same that operated inside my house. Why? Because in my house we needed to fight together for survival. So there was no possibility of hierarchy in which a man was in charge and had more privileges. So I'm from a family in which my mom had a notion that since we were all building the path together, There was no possibility of hierarchy of roles of women washing dishes and men going out, because, in fact, the men in my house were born first, before the women. So, as the men had been born before the women, they had to take care of the women, they had to bath, comb hair, while she and my father had to go to work to ensure our survival. So there was no time for it. Sexism couldn't enter and go through that family, that house. And I believe that is this upbringing that also forges the person that I am. And you've
2: sort of already spoken a bit about your early experiences of activism. How did you become more involved in feminist and racial justice activism and How did that change over time as you move forward, you know, from the 80s and beyond? How did that journey evolve?
0: So this journey
1: took place because in very poor communities in the city of Salvador, Brazil, in that period of the 70s, all of us, or almost all, were involved in groups of young people linked to the Catholic Church and groups of young people it to the Jesuit. So my first step from the point of view of more structured activism were in the youth church groups. It was through the youth church groups when we started having conflicts and questioning the role of the church in the reproduction of racism. A priest, a black Jesuit, introduced me to the unified black movement. We were trying to create a group of young Black Christian in the Church. We wanted to question the Church. We wanted to question racism in that place where we used to live. But amazingly, the Church at that moment, in the late 70s and early 80s, didn't agree with the creation of the group of young Black Christians. And when I arrived at the Unified Black Movement at that moment, It was as if another word had opened up to me. It was as if I had experienced and entered another dimension, because until then I had never seen things in that way. In that way of understanding oneself as Black, in that way thinking of the construction of your identity, in that way as the Unified Black Movement presented it to me, So, I was one person before being introduced to the black movement, and I became another after getting to know the black movement. And then, from 1980 onward, my life had no other path. I had no other path than the centrality of racism, sexism and machismo. How would we confront and tear down these two structures that oppressed us?
2: Joining the Unified Black Movement felt like a homecoming to Valdeci. She also noticed that female members weren't treated fairly and that men were often the ones taking the lead. Hoping to change this, Valdesi created a women's group within the organization. Through this group, she began engaging with other Brazilian feminist organizations. But once again, she felt excluded. This time, not for being a woman, but for being black.
1: In 1988, we decided to create the Black Women Movement in Brazil to break with the two subjects that were the White Feminist Movement and the Mixed Black Movement, which used us and did not give us a voice. We decided to follow our path independently. Why? Because we always served as a ladder for these two movements, and we discovered throughout our history of political action and political advocacy, that we were the spring that moved this movement. We were the oil that made these machines all work. We would continue dialoguing with all segments of society, but we want to continue autonomously. We did not want to be dependent on one or another movement, because these two movements also reproduce on us relationship of subalternity, invisibility and silencing. And we no longer want to be silenced. We no longer allowed it when we discovered and understood the strength of power that we had. We refused to be part of these movements. And I don't speak for all black women in Brazil. I belong to the women's segment, I'm lesbian and black. I am part of a movement that strengthens the autonomy and political emancipation of Black women.
2: It's been over four decades since Valdesi joined the feminist fight against racism. And yet, young Black feminists today, especially those belonging to the LGBTIQ community, continue to feel similarly excluded.
0: When I started to participate in feminist movements, which were mostly white at the time, I began to notice the places where racism placed me in white organizations. That's Jess Hipolito She is 30 years old. I was never called to give my opinions to the things that were considered important. But I was always called to serve as a human security barrier in demonstrations. I was always called to do lifting on the street, things that we knew that not all women did. The time passed and I began to understand those dynamics. At the same time, I got involved with the Black Women's Movements, with the MNU, Unified Black Movement itself, which is this historical movement here in Brazil. At the same time, when I started to read a lot, so I started to find myself to understand who I was, and I could also understand who my family was.
2: Jess lives in Sao Paulo, but her family comes from the outskirts of the city.
0: My mother was born in this small town, and her family of seven siblings grew up in this farm context. But it is an idea of a farm very much based on the enslavement process of colonialism in Brazil. So the memories I have from my childhood are from visiting my aunt, who lived until about 20 years ago on the farm of a great doctor whose family is rich and everyone is white. She and her husband and the family of two daughters were the people who took care of the farm. And it was a farm with cattle, chickens, pigs, and a river. And I remember very well that there was a very large house, which we called headquarters, and my aunt's house, which was a humble small house with a wood stove. So the big house was where the bosses stayed when they visited the farm. Most of the time, the house was closed. My aunt couldn't go into the big house and couldn't use anything from there. So I remember having these two spaces very well defined. Racism defines those places where you can or cannot enter. So when I was little, I couldn't get into the big house. I only got to see the inside the house when my aunt or my mother wanted to get something in there or when they were going to clean that house. Even though Jess experienced racism, she didn't always think of herself as black. So, I grew up in this interracial family dynamic with my grandmother, a light-eyed white woman, and my grandfather, a dark-skinned black man, and my mother's brothers, all of them are black. But everyone has a different skin color. We have a scale from the darkest to the lightest, and no one saw themselves as black. It was always something that I found strange because when I left the countryside of Sao Paulo, From that moment on, in the years of 2010, 2011, I went to Sao Paulo, the capital, in search of studies and in search of other ways of life and mainly understand myself and who I was. I went through this process of understanding that I was a black person and at the same time, I understand my family. I could also understand who my family was and why no one saw themselves as black. But everyone reproduced racism, from my uncle, who was the darkest, to my aunt, who was the lightest person, the lightest-skinned black person, and I observed the traumas that racism caused in your lives. Not just racism, racism, sexism, LGBT phobia, So, my family is a family that is extremely fractured by colonial actions. It is a family in which we have many vulnerabilities in a psychosocial sense. During that time, by talking to my mother, I managed to make her understand that she was not a white woman because she was never treated like a white woman. And she, nowadays, understands better that her father was a black man and that her siblings are black people, that she is also a black woman. But this pride in being black, this nice and comfortable thing that is still feel strength in this black identity, we still haven't managed to do in my family. I'm very proud to be black and I'm very proud of my ancestrality of knowing everything that the Brazilian people that the Brazilian black people went through so that I could be here today so that other young black women could access the different spaces that we, at great cost, are accessing, but it is still a trauma to be dealt with that is actually very difficult. For university,
2: Jess moved to Auro Preto, a city north of Rio de Janeiro. There, she met a woman she fell in love with. They married, not long after, and decided
0: to move to Sao Paulo. I understood this process of being black, being lesbian, and being fat. When I was married to another black woman, also fair-skinned like me, fat, and five feet tall. So with the two of us on the street, people were in shock. It was bizarre how people reacted to seeing the two of us holding hands on the street. People spoke to us. We were walking on the street and out of nowhere, people approached us and said, you're sisters, right? Like out of context, people called us names in the street. People have even spat us on the street There were several types of violence that made it start to sink in. I began to understand these identities from the violence, from the ridiculing, and from this lack of rights because we could not walk on the street together.
2: When their marriage disintegrated a couple of years later, Jess realized that she barely had any friends. She began attending feminist and Black
0: gatherings in hopes of finding a community. It was my opportunity to meet people, make new friends, and discover new places. And then I dove right in. And it was essential, it was a turning point in my life. Getting to know social movements and understand the problematics from my experience, from the movements when I felt that in those movements, either in a meeting or in a seminar, or an assembly, I realized that, not explicitly, but in a very camouflaged way, my opinion and my speech were not well-received because I generally took issues about the demands of lesbians, gays, bisexuals, trans people, especially trans women, into feminist movements. I took the LBT issue to meetings of Black and Black women movements. And at the time, despite it being a recent thing, talking openly about sexuality and saying openly, I'm sapaton, i I'm bisexual, I'm transvested," wasn't something well received yet. People were still apprehensive about welcoming the person who was announcing the identity and then demands. You were well-received as long as you didn't make any kind of demand. If you just got the job done, and for a long time, I was that person. I have to say that I was that person, but I understood that my voice... My experience, my body and everything that I have perceived and analyzed in society is too unique and precious for me to silence. For me to just go along with what everyone else was saying was true when I disagreed. So I started to no longer work alongside certain feminist groups, mainly because they were mostly white and the consequence of whiteness acting within these feminist groups is the exclusion of the voice of black women, of women and LGBTs of descended bodies as whiteness, white thought, philosophy, and culture. Make people believe that they have a greater capacity or greater expertise and ability in all subjects in detriment of others. And then when you took An agenda that was lesbian, trans, you were placed in the lesbian group. So you would have to discuss your issues only there as if I was not as part of it. I don't have a problem with exclusive groups, and I even like them a lot, as long as we manage to make the information, needs, and demands circulate between spaces, because it is no use just as lesbian group of mine talking from lesbians to lesbians. It doesn't work. So from that experience with a large feminist organization, I understood that I didn't want to work alongside that kind of person. My feminism was not that feminism that excluded or pretended that the person existed. So from that moment one, I started to work very autonomously. In 2012, Jess started a blog to share her
2: experiences. She named it God is a tau, which loosely translates to fat and dyke. On her blog, Jess discusses queerness, blackness, body positivity and feminism.
0: My writing comes to register this process that I experience. do you know? and it comes as a way to speak up, expanding, sharing ideas about things that I was never able to talk about in the movements. I managed to speak up when I wrote my blog, and I managed to create a dialogue channel when other people started to follow the blog, and they started to write and respond with comments, send me emails, add me on Facebook, and follow the Facebook page. So I managed to create a dialogue channel about topics, And something that in 2013-2014 we really didn't have. Not when it comes to writing about being fat, being sapatão. Sapatão, for those who don't know, is a Brazilian word that historically used to offend women who have relationships with other women, affectively and sexually. Or even worse, When you are just holding hands with another woman, and sometimes she is your cousin, your mother, your friend, so sapatão, is a word to offend women who love women, basically. And then we made this move to resignify the word. And I think the blog was part of this moment to resignify the word sapatão and what it meant. Which is for you to love women and identify yourself as women. May you be cis or trans who loves other women. To want to develop your affection, not just wanting to get married or have a home and a family, but wanting to be politically involved with actions or activities and will also provide a better life for other women. I realized that over the years, younger girls, especially those who were already on the internet, self identify as sapatão and not a lesbian anymore.
2: Despite being from different generations, both Jess and Valdesi felt excluded in feminist organizations due to their queer and black identities. But for Jess, the advent of social media made it possible to connect with others who felt similarly excluded.
0: At the time, it was 2014 or 2015. At that time, black feminism, intersectional feminism, and indigenous feminism were topics that we were discussing a lot on Facebook. I was this young woman who met a lot of movements on Facebook. I read a lot of texts from Facebook groups and Facebook study groups. I met with other young black women because of Facebook. So what did we do? We realized that on the internet, we couldn't talk the concept of intersectional feminism, but also all the identities and demands that it brought with it. And at the time, what did we do? I met with about 15 black, young, and indigenous women, and we decided to have a face-to-face meeting for us to talk. Because on the internet, everyone is fighting and everyone is canceling each other because of nothing. These dialogues are not going anywhere. It is shitty. Well, let's do it. And how about money to make this meeting happen? Nobody had any. Everyone worked. Everyone there was 20, 21. I think the oldest must have been 24 or 25 years old. No older than that. But we wanted to make this meeting happen. Jess and her feminist colleagues came
2: up with the idea to organize a camping event for queer, black and indigenous feminists
0: to connect and organize. The campaign was a great success. We gathered 250 young Black, Indigenous, LGBT women and mothers, and we had a daycare space for children during two days of the meeting. The mothers were there on the court, the children were in the other space. We cleaned up that space, you can imagine, and also people could be very comfortable. Anyway, This was something very significant in my life because it was done autonomously with other young Black women. And I reflected a lot in the sense of identifying the young leaders of young Black women and understanding that us as young women and also as Black women's movement, LGBT movements and feminist movements We will need to recognize that we need to act in a synchronized way at many times. It does not mean that we need to act in the same ways, do you know? But I believe it is necessary to resume some path and build bridges of dialogue as the youth has been doing many things at the same time.
2: In her long career as an activist, Valdeci recognizes how important online networks are in strengthening social movements.
0: I
1: have been in the black movement for approximately 42-43 years, since 1981, 40-something years. I can clearly see what is happening today. Nowadays, if a person is discriminated against or suffer an act of racism anywhere in this country in less than 24 hours, there are reports, cards and communication materials on the street. When the police kills a young black man in less than 24 hours, you have a mobilization on social network of reports, pressure and criticism about this event. So, social network have played an important role in disseminating reaction. Undoubtedly, we need to improve its quality so that we can advance in claiming rights in guaranteeing rights with this tool as well, because it has the power to reach even India. We're here talking, I'm in Brazil, at one extreme end, and I'm talking to someone who's interviewing me from India. So that's fantastic. So AWID was a gift that we, I think we, black women in Brazil, received. When I say a gift, it's because When it was decided that the AWID Forum would be held in Bahia, in Salvador, and 2015, we were involved in the entire process of building the Forum. It made it possible for us, black women representing Brazil, to understand that there was a segment in the global world thinking about how we would transform feminism into a safe space for women. So, it is from the Awood forum that I learned and added the idea that feminism needs to be a safe place for women to my resistance. If feminism needs to be a safe place for women, black feminism needs to be an even safer place for women. Because when we think about black women, the demands and the number of problems these women are involved in, and the vulnerability, these women live in makes them need a place where they can be safe.
2: The Avid forum Valdosi is referring to was a space for Black and Afro-descendant feminists to come together to dialogue, debate, and share their experience as activists. It also inspired the second national meeting of young Black feminists in 2017, which Jess helped organize, as well as the Global Black Feminist Fund, established earlier this year.
0: I
1: participated in several debates about the formation of this fund. So AWUD brought this to us. Awood brought us the support so that we could have women from Latin America, the Caribbean, and the region, and the first march of Black women, for which we gathered almost 100,000 Black women in Brasilia. AWID provided extremely important support so that we could move around. Now there is a matter of ideological conception that got me really excited with AWID, which was that free territory, that place where we held that meeting in that city, where we held that meeting, because we built a city to hold that global forum where women could be whatever they wanted to be a place where we lived, experienced, and interchanged not only with women from around the world, but with women in all their dimensions of diversity. So all the diversity were present there, while disabled, trans, lesbian, young, and more experienced women. So when you track a path like mine, would comes along like a light at the end of the tunnel for us to want to reorganize, rethink, and reposition the continuity of our struggle.
2: Looking into the future of black feminist organizing, Valdeci wishes to put love at the forefront of the struggle.
1: A racist, sexist, and machista society divides us and puts us women, and especially black women, in conflicts and disputes. So my dream is that we think about love, May our struggle have its principal love and affection. Because if you don't have love and affection, there is no project for a nation that will work. We cannot think that overcoming violence will come with more violence. How can we contaminate the world? What will this young feminist girl come and find? A word of pleasure, a beautiful word a world where it is possible to be happy and to think about happiness, not from an individual point of view, but to think about happiness from a collective point of view. It is not possible to be happy if there are women who die and starve. So… It is my wish today as an activist who is almost 63 years old and has many friends from the black movement, many sisters and friends. I learned a lot from them, and they certainly learned a lot from me. If the fight is for a better society, this fight needs to be with more love, care and affection. It is what I hope that my legacy will leave, having respect as a priority, and developing the philosophy of generosity, not only in speech, but also in action. May this be a philosophy that guides our lives from now on and into the future. I admire how Valdecy and Jess
2: managed to embrace the struggle and overcome the challenges that came their way. They reminded me of the courage it takes to dedicate one's life to advancing equality and inspired me to continue the fight all the while keeping love, care and solidarity at the heart of our work. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe to That Feminist Fire so you don't miss out on new episodes. Please also rate and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. This show is made in partnership with Human Group Media. Our executive producer is Camille Lorente, associate producer Fernanda Uriagas, mixing, editing and music by Maverick Aquino. To know more about AWID and to claim your place by the fire by becoming a member of our global feminist community, visit www.awid.org. I'm your host, Kopika Bashi. And I can't wait to catch you all in the next episode.